it's five o'clock and over the next half hour we're going to be hearing from dr catherine quinn who is on the bottom right hand corner of your screen we're also going to be hearing from dr catherine charwood um did you two decide on how we should um when i go catherine i'm happy of... to be kathy to make that easier kathy um so well so is it kathy it's kathy not cat or kit or kathy you don't have a preference okay so we've got kathy catherine and nikita and nikita's joining us all the way from you're in india now right yes so join us all the way from india so our third long distance guest so we've we've working our way across the world we had our australians at the start of the day and now we're working our way across um we're, uh, over the next three hours four hours we've got uh, a few guests from the us as well do you mind if i just play a video while i just do something very quickly uh, i'll tell you what i'm going to do is rather than play a video i'm going to ask you all to introduce yourselves and I'm going to put Kathy in charge while I'm not here. Kathy, uh, you've been promoted to right. um, to guest host for the next two to three minutes, and and I want you to ask our guests to introduce themselves and then take them through talking about their work. And I'll rush back so okay. I, I know what questions to ask. Otherwise, I'll miss the whole thing. Okay, Ready, I'll give it a whirl go and she didn't know I was going to do this by the way anybody right okay. yeah this is this is fantastic <laughs> uh, let me I'm going to put your caption on as well there you go there's your caption and go okay so um let's start with with you Nikita because Catherine and I actually know each other so, <laughs> so this is more interesting for me so Nikita would you like to introduce yourself namaskar to all so I'm a student currently pursuing my doctor of medicine in naturopathy after completing my bachelorate in naturopathy and yogic sciences from India, and which is internationally well known as ND. So being from not from the background of neuroscience, uh, it's very challenging for me to opt uh, a passion after this kind of uh, field or the particularly Alzheimer's, which I'm interested in. So my early life of including my interest in the dementia was started since my medical rotations and after that i am working on that particular area and aspect facing a lot of challenges being not from that particular uh, background and even we have started now a student-led initiative that is chittode foundation to raise uh, awareness about dementia and other neurodegenerative diseases in our locality and in india that's all and I am very naive in this field and I'm with zero experience of neuroscience so it's like a big opportunity for me to be a part of the chatathon family thank you honestly I wouldn't worry about it I love that you're saying you're not from a neuroscience background I'm about to reveal that my doctorate's in literature so don't worry um <laughs> Dr. Thanks. Catherine Quinn, for those who are unfortunate enough to not have already met you, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cathy. So I'm Dr. Catherine Quinn. I'm an associate professor at the Centre for Applied Dementia Studies at the University of Bradford, which means that I get to work in a centre with a whole bunch of fantastic people engaging in research, teaching and training and consultancy. And my background is I tend to focus on research that's around improving the quality of life of people with dementia and the family members that care for them and also thinking about the ways in which we can create interventions to better support them. 
So that's me and over to you, Cathy. <laughs> um, so one of the things that Catherine didn't mention there is that she's also a co-investigator on the IDEAL programme, um, which is the uh, research programme that I work for. So my own background is slightly different. Um, accidental humanist in the scientist's house. Um, but so um, my doctorate was actually in English literature. I was looking at memory in the poetry of Thomas Hardy Robert Frost, um, but very much with a focus on experimental psychology as well. And perhaps inevitably at the same time, my grandmother was living with Alzheimer's disease. And so when this role was advertised, it was a sort of um, unique alignment of uh, professional and, and personal interests. Um, so I am the research translation and impact manager for the IDEAL programme, and that will not mean much. Um, I think of it as I'm a bit of a dot joiner. I attempt to join the dots between the research outputs from IDEAL and the people to whom it could make a difference, whether that be people with dementia and carers, practitioners, or indeed policymakers. So um, both Catherine and I uh, get to work on the IDEAL programme, which started in 2014, um, is an Alzheimer's Society Centre of Excellence. So do donate because um, you can keep us doing things. Um, <laughs> um, and essentially, it's a large cohort study. So over 1,500 people with dementia, over 1,200 and uh, 300, sorry, carers um, originally, to try and figure out looking at it over time, which things make a difference to people's ability to live a good quality of life. And that's in their own perception, whatever that means to them, whatever a good life looks like to you, how do we keep people um, in that space, which things make it easier to do that, and, and which things perhaps make it that bit harder. Um, so that was <laughs> more than two to three minutes. <laughs> so um, let me consider what um, we might ask you next don't worry i'm here <laughs> you horror I comic leave you in it. i was just very quickly because we had the confusion over two different funding pages because one had the wrong page i was just using the opportunity to try and work out because usually i'd love to be telling people how much we've raised and i haven't been able to because you've got to do your sums <laughs> exactly i had to get my calculator out because it's on two different pages and then there was this offline bit and so i mean uh i'll do i'll come to that uh afterwards thank you very much standing super host uh kathy charwood doctor Catherine Charwood I should add you haven't got the doctor on your bit there I'm sorry it's because I couldn't tell is that because your PhD is so irrelevant that you didn't claim to be doctor because everybody else is saying that you're well, I've just you know, told them how it's relevant it is <laughs> did you Very say relevant did, I'm sorry I only was half listening if I'm honest but was it something to do with Edgar Allan Poe no no Why good lord I no that it was literature based um, it was literature based but i was looking at memory in in poetry and then i got obsessed with how the brain actually perceives poetic devices and that leads you to be able to remember poetry better or remember specific places and scenes better so there was a link there was a link the po poetry was mine as well so so i we should talk about poetry separately um so thank you very much for for picking that up you've told us about your work and this session this session we've taken the caption down was talking about involving people in research some people who've been watching today might be a little bit critical to say hey you should have had more people living with dementia in your in your stream and i would have liked to have done that um but i think also as well what is coming across is everybody i've spoken to today has had 
people involved in their studies at various stages particularly perhaps less than basic scientists the neuroscientists less so but even there there's a push to say hey there's no reason why you can't involve people in with dementia in some of the the decision making and things like that so tell us why why is it important why is it important to you why was it important to you Catherine that people should be involved in this the work you do I think it's incredibly important that you hear from people who have lived experience of and although we're here today talking about research obviously I teach and we involve people with dementia and carers in informing our teaching as well so that's very much led by that but it's incredibly important to have those lived experiences to help us guide particularly when you're designing projects or, or studies that involve people with dementia and carers themselves but equally you know you're going to be recruiting etc so there's a whole different ways in which people can contribute to the design of the study the implementation how we disseminate our findings many many different ways in which people can contribute and ensure that the research that we're doing is of value to the people that we want to do it for but equally has that impact that we're looking for and nikita in your in your work how have you involved people in your work so far because you you do all kinds of things don't you? from a developing country kind of state and where the people are more cultural and we still have rural areas and remote areas in our country so with limited uh, hospitality and other services so it's very difficult to break a myth that dementia or uh, such kind of conditions of neurodegenerative diseases is not just a part of aging which is a myth here and we don't consider the people here and the uh, people are unaware of such kind of conditions in our country so we need to make more awareness for a particular time of being till that uh, our government as well as our uh, certain universities and firms are working out of that to raise awareness till we need a ground level work to initiate that and that's that's because is there still i mean how much stigma is there still around dementia is this why it's still very much hidden away yeah it's a stigma and uh, more of we can say that uh, being people understanding that it's a natural aging process they don't even consider to refer to a physician or to a doctor for such mm. kind of condition uh, people are forgetting things say they uh, they say like it's a natural aging process and it's due to because of their age so that stigma we have to break and uh, for our country we need uh, like though we have not much prevalence or we can say that we don't uh, really know the state of dementia in our country we can say that because we are not much involved nobody's now. count yeah nobody's counting it's not a yeah yeah and i think i think i mean whether the argument would have stood up decades ago when there was we knew less about it about what could help and what made a difference but i think increasingly now um hiding this away in 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 the background and pretending it doesn't exist isn't helping because there is so much you can do now i mean you every hour we've had somebody talking about the trials that they're doing the things you can do to delay onset they're kind of going outside the different ways that people can can either add to their own quality of life or help to look at research and help the next generation or, or and to improve things so it's kind of the more you hide it away that's it's going to be more of an issue do you think will it benefit if this progresses in other parts of the world so when that treatment comes along when there's a treatment will will that 
be a magic bullet uh, no what's a silver bullet will that be a magic kind of tipping point where people will go wait a second there's a treatment for this actually then everybody will start to kind of realize the problem more once there's a a recognized treatment yeah we can say that uh, as we all know our demographic uh, background also have a good impact on such conditions and a medical reference so from being that if a patient or the uh, individual is from a remote area and they are not much educated they don't even prefer that they think like it's not really required to refer or to consult a doctor for such kind of conditions yeah. but nowadays the people are educating the social media is growing so the people are uh, making things uh, you know like public or we can say social they are discussing about their issues and the young generation is particularly involved in that in our country too so that's a creating a positive side of the social media i can say and we are looking further and even we are uh, just now in this year itself we have started a student led foundation to increase awareness in our locality and we are working nationally in future to increase awareness and to help people and we conduct sessions of meditation and awareness camps for this thing and i should, i'll get a plug in now for alzheimer's disease international which are just kind of came to my head as one of those great organizations that does a brilliant job of bringing together societies from different countries to learn from each other because of course we've learned so much from from i'm going to say the uk because i live here but other parts of the world as well about how you raise awareness how you tackle this uh, problem about uh, stigma that that those they need to be culturally adapted but they can help rather than starting from scratch uh, i think coming back to patient and public involvement of course who are at the can be at the heart of changing that stigma tell me kathy <laughs> what's the difference so yes. we hear a, so at the moment we hear a lot about kind of co-design citizen science patient and public involvement can you give us a, a run through as to what they all what's the difference between all this oh my just... giddy aunt yeah all right <laughs> um so well i mean citizen science i think is is very much open that, that to anybody. Was the Curve, that was and the curveball. <laughs> you're you're lucky that I previously worked on a citizen science project. Let's put it like that. Um, <laughs> so something like Zooniverse, right? This enormous website with lots of different projects on it. Anybody sitting at home can you know go in and help count the penguins on this freeze frame of a camera in, in the um, the Antarctic or wherever it is penguins live. My parents are going to kill me that I don't know that. Um, but it's not particularly involved, right? And you don't have to have any any lived experience of that particularly. It's a chance to be involved in someone else's project. I think true PPIE, as it's called, or even better, co-production, is actually really involving the other person in the project. And and sort of, you know, to go back to, to the question that you asked before, why, why involve people at all? Well, one, because they know things we don't on, on quite a radical level. People living with dementia or carers know about that experience in a way that researchers don't. Two, because if we don't involve them, we'll get it wrong and then wasted a lot of money and time. And that's generally not great. But the one I should have led with is because it's more fun. 
Um, it's actually really interesting and engaging to talk to people. And, you know, even if it results in, you know, just one small smile and one small story shared, actually that can inspire you. That can make you think, right, I'm really going to dig deeper. I'm going to go further with this research now. So I, I would put a little plug in for the for the fun. Um, but in terms of co-production, what makes that very different and the example I'm inevitably going to use is the Living with Dementia Toolkit, um, of which I'm so proud. And actually, I think I can put in all three here um, of those points. Go because they they helped with the design of how we were actually going to get this toolkit out there and advertised and i said well what should we do you know we could do a poster we could do leaflets no leaflets right if there's one thing i've learned people hate leaflets don't make a leaflet everybody um so i said okay no leaflets i that what should we do <laughs> and out of nowhere one of our involvement group of people with dementia and carers said postcard sized fridge magnets all right um and we did and do you know what? No researcher would ever have come up with that as an idea. And it's brilliant because you can stick it on your fridge as we have on our fridge and it reminds you of it. Um, so it, it, it's this it's this difference of thinking um, that can actually be really beautifully and cohesively brought together when you involve people from different backgrounds. It's a great argument. So, you know if if all you're doing is involving people in your research because it's what the funder asks you to do you know have you done your ppi which doesn't feel that long ago that that's when ppi got done it got done because your researcher made you and it's only i, I think increasingly now there's this recognized that it, it's the best part of it i completely agree and your um so what advice so anybody who's watching here who's a new PhD because there's a lot of new PhD students who are in the first kind of six to 12 months of their projects um who suddenly have been told oh right okay you, they've been working on their ethics they've been working on their patient materials hopefully with somebody involved who suddenly find themselves having to work directly and talk to people living with dementia we heard from Chris right at the start of the day is he just treat them like normal people um, but Chris, I, I would admit, Chris and Jane are, are very much kind of, you don't have to tiptoe around them. I don't think you could say anything to them that wouldn't shock them or, or offend them. I think people, not everybody's like Chris and Jane. What advice would you have for somebody who suddenly finds themselves working with people with dementia if they haven't, you know, if they haven't hung out with their grandparents or other people living with the condition? Um, I'll go to, let's go to Catherine. Do you want to do, because she... Let's go to Catherine first. Yeah, so I think what you were alluding to before is this issue around it not being tokenistic. And I think that's, you know, that the fact that originally people just put PPI on applications, but they will know if it's tokenistic. So the first thing to think about is what is their role in the study? You know, what? how do you want them to help with the PhD study? And if, what, what, how do you want their help? Because if it's just a tick box exercise, I just need to, you know, I need to have a PPI person to come along to a meeting. They will know that and they will not feel that it's very meaningful in terms of their involvement. I think in terms of work, you know, it's exactly the same as working with anybody. You have to think about how you work. How do you communicate? So think about the language we use. If you're going to, if it's a very complex technical project, you mentioned lay language before, Adam, and it's that whole, you know, think about the language in which you're using to communicate your work, to work with them to make them aware but to think about what's their involvement to be aware obviously that ppi has a cost attached to it that we do pay people's time they're giving up their time to, to support us not just in research but obviously you have the grant funders on before and obviously ppi members get involved in grant funding decisions and i think the real thing that 
I learned a lot from the ideal study that Kathy has been telling you about. That started in 2014. We've been working with the same PPI group pretty much since then with some changes, but it's around managing expectations because there are things that we want to get people meaningfully involved in research, but it's about them being aware about what things we can do with research and what we can't. For example, the ideal study involves a lot of questionnaires and we do a lot of uh, that we can't change the wording of those questionnaires because they're standardized and that was something that came up when the first meeting we had about the ideal said well what we were able to do was take on board somebody's suggestion around adding in open-ended questions to the mm. questionnaire pa and straight away and the other thing so it's about people managing people's expectations around research and about the process the other thing that tends to come up with the ideal study before is the length of time it can take for us to get research publications out there can take time to get research findings out that obviously Kathy's been doing some great translational work um, but it's about you know making it clear to somebody from the start about what their role is going to be and the last point I'll just make is about that feedback loop if you're involving somebody in a research project even if it's about the participant or PPI that you know that you should be telling them about that, that one is the findings but also for a PPI member how have you acted upon their advice you know, if, you, if they've given you advice, have you, you know, have you been able to act upon it? You know, and I think it's really important to have that feedback loop when working with people. And, and that's something, I mean, hats off to the ideal programme particularly is I think you've been amazing at not just publishing findings years later in some journal that people will read, but actually sharing the one, you know, recognising that once you've got something worthwhile to share you share it and you don't just put it in a publication you make these films you produce these tools these practical things that people can help and take that further then and try and get the local um because you've had some go into like health services and things like that haven't you to try and get them actually commissioned as real life services which is you know a real skill to be able to do that that's not not easy to to do um so back to that am I taking away then involving people at the very very earliest stage possible because the problem with with research methodologies is once you've set your research question and you get so down far down the path it you become a bit single a bit blinkered don't you and suddenly the idea of taking on board some changes or rephrasing questions or adding more in does become harder to to do but but also maybe they're a little bit less willing to I think it's about having, but that's why I say about that sort of managing expectations from the start. So yeah, it's great if you can get somebody involved at the design side, obviously there's a cost attached to PPI and obviously PhD, you know, there's some practicalities to think through, but I think having those conversations enables people to, to be on, to understand the nature of research and how it works. I'm going to come back to Nikita because I know in your bio you talked about use of meditation and how it can help people and I'm guessing that comes down to kind of mindfulness and things as well what's what, what's your research telling you what's it showing so being from a, a yogic background so as my bachelorate and my current study is going in that particular field that is our traditional medicine we call it as India traditional medicine. And nowadays we all celebrate International Yoga Day and all kind of stuffs. So uh, my research particularly uh, teaching me like how we can collaborate, how different medical fields and traditional ancient therapies we can come with the scientific proof area. After that, we can uh, learn that 
particularly uh, for our uh, dementia we can say that meditation can be a cost effective because we need a cost effective reliable and effective therapy and we need a cost effective reliable and effective therapy so that we can uh, intervene that in early stages as well as in progressive stage or the diagnosed stage, uh, stage of the disease so meditation can work well and we have uh, nowadays we have a uh, like a few years few years we are working well in mindfulness and meditation meditation kind of things even the standard uh, or the world known uh, universities like harvard and stanford is working on that particular area so we can better collaborate and uh, making meditation as our tool and targeting amygdala particularly because our stress is a, in this particular era is a major risk factor of developing such conditions what and i apathy. feel apathy we've just been talking about apathy two sessions ago the idea of addressing apathy and different approaches to deal with that uh, are there as well uh, and I, I i mean this is where we're taking this bigger holistic approach which the i mean coming back yeah, nikita it sounds like your work is exactly doing the same thing which is and the ideal program is just so it seems to have been going so long now and it's so vast that it, it's it's not just a single study it's like a no. whole program now and it's still going i mean it's not like it's has it got an, an expiry date on it <laughs> Well, we, we don't call it exactly that, but um, yeah, we technically finish at the end of next calendar year, so at the end of 2023. And are you, um, but, but are you applying for more grants to keep picking things up from it? It's not just the end. Obviously. Right? <laughs> it's, it's never it's like the, the end. Star Wars franchise. Surely you need a prequel of some kind. Well, I think the thing is that we've we've learned so much and we now really want to be able to move with those findings, right? Because as you say, it's not just one thing. It's, for instance, you know, the strand on undiagnosed dementia and actually being able to find out some of the reasons why people maybe don't seek diagnosis and, and what means that that might be more likely for certain people. So it's really about about getting it out there. Um, but just just to offer some advice on your on your last question to people who are maybe seeking participants or being able to work with people in that involvement style. Um, one thing I'd say is check out DEEP, right, the DEEP network and the work of innovations in dementia, because that will demystify what people with dementia are like and working with people with dementia. And I think you're right that there is this kind of fear of I'll say the wrong thing, I'll do the wrong thing, and then it'll all fall apart and it'll cost me my PhD. And none of that is true. Um, the other thing is clarity of communication. And I don't mean using simple words. I mean, as Catherine was saying, completely outlining, this is what I'd like to do. This is what it would mean for you. And this is how much we will pay you to do that and being incredibly upfront, because I think especially, um, you know, there is a distrust of, of researchers, of health researchers in particular, and especially from certain backgrounds, understandably. So I think the, the, the more clearly you can lay out your stall, the better it is, is for everybody involved. Um, and finally, I would say be prepared to adapt obviously within reason, because as Catherine pointed out, you can't change the wording um, of a specific measure. However, I will just say that um, Ideal is fortunate enough that we have been able to, to co-create our own new measure. So the My Life Questionnaire, um, which was co-created with people living with dementia, because they wanted to create a questionnaire that, you know what, you'd actually want to take. And the Ideal study has a good website, right? I think, what is it? Is it, tell me the URL. Well, so I'm going to send people instead the Living with Dementia Toolkit because I'm naughty, but www.livingwithdementiatoolkit.org.uk because I think that's where you'll find the most practical resources and things to inspire. Perfect.
And 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 I think you're now facing that challenge that so many we've talked about this earlier today that so many researchers face is so many research projects kind of come to their end, but because there's no natural next step we end up either just continuing to add to the research because that's a way of keeping it going rather than kind of drawing a line under it and saying, right, this is now going to be, I'm, we will now shift our attention to implementation because implementation is so much harder than research. I'm going to argue people are going to disagree with that. I don't know if that's a controversial, I think it is. Once you've got your finding, turning a research finding into a real life service is harder than doing the research in the first place. So, I'd say we know where we want to go and we get the money to do it. Good job. It sounds like ideals well on its way. Thank you very much uh, to my brilliant guest, Nikita Sharma, uh, coming, uh, joining us all the way from Marut. Uh, we also have Dr. Catherine Charwood and Dr. Catherine Quinn from Exeter and Bradford, who have been brilliant. Uh, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Take care. Good luck. <laughs> it's all right. What do you mean? It's easy now. Three hours, four hours four hours left no problem at all thank you okay so coming up over the next half an hour um coming up over the next half an hour from half past five till 6 p.m we're going to be sticking with the care theme and involving people in research and we're going to be talking about caring care in care homes there's a lot of care in that because we need to provide lots of care and support for independence. Uh, I'm going to be joined by Professor Claire Sir uh, from the Leeds Beckett University and Dr Victoria Shepherd, who is joining us from who's a senior research fellow at Cardiff University. But before we do, I'm going to remind everybody once again, the charities that we met a little bit earlier today will put your money to good use. If only you could uh, give what you can. Uh, you can find the donation page at chatathon.uk forward slash donate. All the money will equally be divided between the Louis Body Society, Risk Instrument, Alzheimer's Society and Alzheimer's Research UK that um, all fund research. Do, do both of you, do either of you get funding from any of those charities? No? We've got some Alzheimer's <laughs> Society funding. God for that. I thought I'd said nothing wrong then. Of course, they're not. The research in the UK isn't only funded by charities. It's also funded by the National Institute for Health Research, Wellcome Trust, and many other organisations as well that do uh, fund that. But um, that's the point for today, that and sharing the research. So I'm going to come back to you all in a second. We're just going to play a quick film because we didn't do at the last session. We, uh, and then we'll be back in uh, a minute's time. Which one to play? I'm going to play this. Through my career, what I've seen is that people with Lewy body really struggle much more than other people because of the different type of symptoms that people experience. It can be particularly complex because people have Parkinson's symptoms as well as what we call neuropsychiatric conditions, so hallucinations, delusions. And it's really difficult for the whole family. So I think people really are under-recognised and underserved, And so that's why I think it's really important they get better, better support. I want people to understand more about the condition. I want people to feel that they can access support and get a diagnosis. So getting a diagnosis is the first step to accessing support. And sometimes we have to push for that because a lot of professionals st still don't recognise Lewy body dementia and they don't understand it. So that's really what I want people to go read, be informed, and to feel empowered and confident to be able to ask for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 